She's the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the push she brought from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, cause everybody needs a little push. From the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Welcome, Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, and welcome to this very special episode. Not only is it one my 100th episode with Transformation Talk Network, which I'm extremely proud of, but I could not celebrate it better than to have my very special guest today. So get ready on your way to work this morning or in the middle of your first coffee break if you're on the East Coast, because we're going to talk about recovering out loud with my very special guest, Lori Dew. Let me tell you a little something about Lori before we introduce her. She is, as you know, a veteran CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News anchor, Lori Dew. She recently celebrated her 16th year of continued sobriety following a lifelong battle with alcohol and substance use. And we know what that's like. Being in long-term recovery myself, I can relate to Lori's story. She was a cable news anchor for over 20 years, a TV journalist, and as I said, she hosts the, hosts the distinction of being the only anchor to have hosted on all three major U.S. cable networks. Lori is going to tell us how she got sober in front of a nation and what she's doing now. And what she's doing now is she's taken on the role of chief brand officer at recoveryeducation.com. And I really want you to hear all about that this morning, because that's really going to help so many people out there, especially for National Alcohol Awareness Month. This is a perfect time for this perfect story. Welcome, Lori Dew. Good morning. Good morning, Ellen. I'm so happy to be here. And congratulations on your 100th episode. It's wonderful. And I'm happy that I'm your very special guest today. This is phenomenal. I could not have celebrated any other way. We talk so much here on this program about addiction, and I brought this specific program to TTN four years ago, and there are so many people that have shared their experience, strength, and hope. And, and we find it so courageous for somebody in the limelight to be doing that as well. So if you wouldn't mind, and we could begin a little bit with your addiction journey, could you tell us so that we can relate about what age did your substance abuse problem begin? Sure. And, you know, I, I don't mind talking about this at all because everything has a beginning, Right. Uh, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what kind of health issue or experience, there's always a beginning. And I would say that in high school, I didn't drink much. Um, I was a, quote, good girl. Uh, I think that uh, I had a very strict mother who, you know, told me that uh, there was no such thing as peer pressure. 
which I wish she had never told me because of course it is, uh, no such thing as peer pressure. And I, I really should not drink until I was 21, which obviously was very unrealistic. But I'll tell you in high school, didn't drink a lot. And uh, so when I got to college, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, big school um, uh, with plenty of opportunities to party. I went crazy quite, quite literally with, with the drinking. And then I would say that, um, you know, I guess I drank normally for a college student, meaning there, were, there was binging every now and then. Um, but I was a member of the varsity swim team. So I had to have that discipline as well, you know, getting up at 530 and going to swim every day sort of prevents you from drinking during the week. But certainly I got drunk on weekends. And, you know, I was also a member of a sorority. So I also attended a lot of fraternity parties and there was plenty of drinking and binge drinking at those as well. Then after I got out of college, I started working at CNN and, you know, the job was stressful. And so I would reward myself by having drinks after work, not every night because, you know, it was a lot of high pressure. And I was behind the scenes as a producer at the time before I became an anchor on CNN. So I had a serious job and really couldn't afford to party, quote unquote, that much. But as I got older in my 20s, um, I began a relationship with a, a man who later became my husband, and we drank a lot. And it kind of went from there. So starting at age 25, when I met him, uh, my drinking increased because we drank together and we were friends with a group of people who drank an awful lot. And then that's when I got introduced to cocaine as well, uh, was, was during my marriage and in partying with this group of people. And it just went from there, Ellen. And you know, a lot of people kind of calm down when they hit their late twenties or thirties. My alcohol and drug use increased until I finally had the gift of desperation and quit at the age of 37. You know, you make a very interesting point because many of us go back to our teenage years, even our pre-teenage years, and we started at a very early age. And what's, what's important for people to understand is substance misuse or drinking or drugging to excess can start at any age. Yes, It doesn't matter where we're going here. So now you're in a situation where being out of college and not having the discipline of a sports program and the structure of all of that, now you're in a situation where you're in the real world and people would attach these two words, which I hate, but maybe you can relate to them or not, or tear it down for us, please. What you would consider in your work world to be a functioning alcoholic? Yes, what do you think? absolutely. And you know what's funny? You talk about discipline. I had a lot of discipline working at CNN. I had a very rigorous job there. So there was that discipline. Um, and yet once I became involved in this relationship uh, with a man who became my ex-husband, <laughs> um, you know, I just, I became a bit untethered. And I realized, you know, it was kind of like work hard, play hard mentality. But the functioning alcoholic phrase really hit me uh, the night of my 30th birthday when I had a big party, uh, lots of people. It was on a Sunday night because it was the only night we could get this particular place for the party. And I didn't get home until 3 a.m. on very early Monday morning. 
and I was dropped off in my driveway by a drunk friend who drove me home and dropped me off in my driveway. I sort of crawled into bed, had to get up four and a half hours later to go to work. By this time, I was on the air. And as soon as I woke up, I promptly leaned over the side of my bed and vomited because I was so sick from just the prior night, which was really only four and a half hours before, the prior night of drinking. And as I was cleaning up the vomit from my beautiful Berber rug, I literally laughed out loud and thought, well, I guess I'm a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> you know, I got drunk, I puked off the side of my bed, and now I'm going to go be on TV. It, that's the very definition of high functioning. But really, you know, Ellen, how high functioning were we? Not, Not at really. all dangerous in a dangerous situation, right? How right. many times that we put ourselves in near death experiences that had actually nothing to do with the fact that we could have killed ourselves from drug or drinking overdoses, right? right. Driving drunk, yeah. you know, maybe choking on vomit in your sleep. I mean, exactly. all of these things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you've mentioned in many different interviews, and I know what this is like for myself too, but you've referenced the fact that you felt sometimes like you were leading a double life. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, very much so. And I think any of our listeners who have struggled with alcohol or substance use disorder will, will, will know this. You know, I, by the, by the time I reached sort of the peak of my alcoholism and drug addiction, I was a national news anchor on um, Fox News at the time. And I feel like anybody who was watching me uh, doing the primetime news updates, or I hosted a show on the weekends and I made appearances on other very high profile shows, would never know that I was struggling because I was keeping a very big secret. I was living a secret life, that double life that you mentioned. So look great on the outside, did a great job at work anchoring the news, um, made very few mistakes, quote unquote, at work. But obviously behind the scenes, I was struggling and I was full of shame and I was full of sadness. And I knew that, um, that I was drinking too much and using too much cocaine, but I really thought I just had to live my life that way. So I was, you know, um, addicted out loud. And then I began to recover out loud, but that's later. So yeah, it, it is that secret life and that double life. When people watching me would have no idea that I would go home and drink, or I would go straight from the studio and meet a bunch of friends. And maybe I get home at four in the morning. Nobody knew that. And so, you know, to hold things inside Ellen is, is very hard. So it, you know, it became too much, too much. And then that's when I finally decided to uh, put the plug in the jug. It becomes overwhelming for us. And I know there are many of us out there that lead a devil life in so many different ways. And, yeah. and the trauma of it, and especially for those um, that are looking for their next substance or looking for their next high, it's a whole double life of, I'm going to function this way, but I'm still thinking of what is happening next? How am I going to get it? How am I going to secure it? How much money do I need for it? And when am, when am I going to be able to get that buzz again? That yeah. double life also, as you mentioned, is exhausting. Well, it really is. And, and frankly, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about my next drink or I was recovering from the drinks. 
And you know, you know, Ellen, that uh, we we hear in our program, our 12-step program, you're only as sick as your secrets. And boy, you know, we keep a lot of secrets when we are living an alcoholic life. We and absolutely those do. Sick secrets really do make us sick because we're not living our authentic lives. So now I want to turn to to maybe a pivotal point for you because um, it's certainly certainly part of the of the title of this show, recovering out loud. Uh, you mentioned that you needed sometimes to have a few drinks to boost your confidence at, at certain situations because you lived a very high profile life. You met some wonderful, amazing, world famous people. Can you talk to us about? the private reception to meet President uh, Bush and what happened on that day? Sure. So I had been invited to a private reception uh, right before the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, many years ago. And this was President Bush 43. So it was uh, W. W. And I had been invited to a private reception to meet uh, President and First Lady Laura Bush. And so did you think I was going to actually be sober for that? No way. So a little nervous. Just little a little nervous. nervous. I might have had a vodka bottle in my hotel room. Might have had a little cocaine in, in my hotel room. And so I had a couple of vodka drinks. I blew a line and then went down to this reception. And, you know, looking back now... I can't believe I did that. And yet, you know, that's how serious addiction is. I'm about to meet the leader of the free world at a private reception where there are only going to be about 50 people. I'm going to get the chance to shake his hand, get a photo, and maybe have 30 seconds talking to him. Well, uh, that's how insidious this disease is. I couldn't say stay sober for that. So by the time I reached the point in the line where I got to meet President and Mrs. Bush, um, you know, I, I'd had a few and I didn't necessarily make a fool of myself when I was talking to him. He was extremely nice. He knew who I was. He said, I love watching you. Uh, you, you do such a good job as an anchor. And I sort of faked my way through that very quick conversation, but I'll tell you the photo was awful. So the, the photographer came, took the photo, you know, the moment where you're shaking the president's hand and you think I'm going to have this in a frame for the rest of my life. Well, I got the photo back and I sent a copy to my mother and she said, well, Laurie, this isn't a very good photo of you. I don't think I'll be displaying this. You know why it wasn't a good photo? Because why? I was wasted. And you, so, it could, you could see that. You evidently. could see, I just looked ridiculous. You know, I was doing something weird with my face oh. and you know, there you go. I, I, I blew it. I blew it. Well, Literally, I blew it, but I also, you know, we have to have a sense of humor, Ellen. Um, I blew it, but then, you know, that's it. And I, I have said in numerous interviews since then, gosh, I wish I could get another chance to meet him because, you know, he's been sober for like 35 years. And now we're in the, you know, President Bush and I are in that same club. Yes. And I would love another chance to meet him and say, guess what? I'm sober too. But, but how, bra how brave of you to bring this up and to well, talk about it. It takes courage. Uh, it really does. 
So I applaud you for this. I really do. And all of us out there applaud you because we, you know, we all have war stories, but, but, you know, this is, this was embarrassing for you and, and is, you know, you're going to have to live with it, but you've overcome it and you've come so far and to be able to share this as a power of example is really a wonderful thing. So shortly after that, shortly after that, you said you had been sober since March 14th of 2007. Does that date stand in your mind particularly? Because we all have our clean dates. Was there something special about March 14th for you? It, there was nothing special, except that that was the day I stopped drinking. So now it's very special. But I'll, I'll tell you what happened that night uh, or that day. I was at, at dinner with a friend and I ordered a glass of wine and I had been contemplating getting sober for a couple of months. And in fact, I'd already been seeing an addiction psychiatrist to help me because I knew I needed to stop or I was going to die. So at least I had the wherewithal at that point to get some help. But I'll tell you that day, March 14, 2007, I had dinner with a friend. I ordered a glass of wine. And as soon as that glass of wine got to the table, I looked at it and I said, oh my gosh, I don't have to drink this and I'm not going to drink it. It was that moment of from heaven above, maybe it was God, I don't know what it was, but it was like a voice going, Laurie, you don't have to drink that. And I didn't, I just stared at it. I stared at the glass of wine. I never took a sip. My friend didn't drink. He's one of those people who's just never never picked up alcohol. And I was in a cab ride on the way back to my apartment. And I remember praying in the back of the cab going, God, please let this be my moment. And it was. And you know, Ellen, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol or done any drugs since then. And I'm grateful for that moment, that moment of grace, and every other moment since then. It's our third step. It's the phone they let go, let God. For me, it was September 4th, 1985. Wow. <laughs> that makes wow. me 50 years old. But but it just it came in a in a whimper, just just like you. I mean, I, I turned around and said, um, this is no longer serving me. And ever present always, and I know it's there for you too, one day at a time, right? Every single day, it's one day at a time. So let's, let's kind of fast forward to, um, to the morning of the White House prayer meeting in 2011, where you decide you where you were speaking. And I want you to talk to me a little bit about your speech first, and then we'll talk about what happened afterwards. Sure. So every year in February, whoever the president is at the time holds the National Prayer Breakfast. And this is a a very lovely event that has uh, taken place ever since, I believe, Eisenhower, Truman or Eisenhower started it. And it's for all faiths. And it it is really a gathering of a couple of thousand people. Um, And there's a keynote speaker and the topic is faith, whatever that looks like. You know, you don't have to be religious to attend this. You just you get invited and you go. And um, I was invited to speak at a private dinner the night before that. And at the, the, um, the topic was the role of faith in your life. And I was one of two speakers. And I decided that night that I was going to talk about the role of faith in my recovery. Because, you know, Ellen, you can't do it alone. You do it with a higher power. You know, your higher power can be nature. Your higher power can be other members of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, for me, my higher power was and is God. 
but I decided to share my story of how faith had helped me get sober. And the reason why I felt comfortable sharing it, even though I hadn't gone public yet, was because I was assured that it was an off the record dinner and that nothing would be repeated. But I, as a longtime journalist, should have known that nothing in Washington is truly off the record, right? So I gave my remarks. I got a standing ovation. I had people coming up to me after the dinner with tears in their eyes saying, you're so brave to share that. And let me tell you about my father who struggled with alcoholism, or let me tell you about my aunt, or people were sharing their stories with me. And I left that dinner with my heart full of hope. I felt so energized and excited to go to this breakfast the next morning. I wake up the next morning and my phone is exploding. Laurie, your story is all over the internet. And unbeknownst to me, there was a gossip reporter in the audience at that dinner who decided to tell my story without my permission. So I thought wow. my life was over. Yeah, Ellen, it was like, how oh. did you feel? What was your initial reaction? I, I, I mean, mean, I, I was, you know, I was throwing up in my mouth. I mean, I <sighs> felt awful, Ellen. I thought my life is over. It's all over the internet. And then I had to go to this prayer breakfast and I was sitting there with my stomach doing somersaults. I, I, I just felt like this is it. It's over. And then a remarkable thing happened later that day. Um, I got all these text messages and phone calls from the today show. Good morning, America, CNN, my old network, um, uh, access Hollywood. Everybody wanted to talk to me. And so I spoke with my family and I said, do you mind if I just, if I talk about this on the national news tomorrow and my family said, go for it. We're so proud of you. You know, at this point I'd been sober about four years and Ellen, I am so glad I decided to go on the today show and talk about it. They did a wonderful job um, putting together the segment about me. I had um, anchored some, some, um, segments on the weekend today show when i was an anchor at msnbc so they had all this video of me anyway because i was part of the nbc family and the interview was done with so much respect that it ended up changing my life and from that moment on from the end of the today show interview i got hundreds of messages on facebook i had so many people reaching out to me saying i also am an alcoholic could you help me and then I had, I did lots of other, I did a media blitz for three days. And then I went on vacation because it was like too much. It, it was a lot. But you know, Ellen, that's the day I started my advocacy was um, in 2011. So I've been out there for about 12 years and it, it ended up changing my life. And so the work I've done as an advocate on the national scene in recovery has been life-changing and the most rewarding the uh, most rewarding stuff in my life. That's a marvelous story. And we're <laughs> going to continue and see exactly where your recovery journey has taken you. But let me just comment on this for a second. Knowing what it's like to have your epiphany moment and to be able to share your experience, strength and hope with the world and, and something as prestigious as a White House prayer meeting, maybe it was meant to be. 
that your story got out in some way. You had sobriety behind you. You had four years of honest work. You were allowed to share your experience, strength, and hope. And because of your national position, what better way than to show people that you are in recovery and that you're working on it? And I have seen stories covered by today in such a wonderful way because they are very empathetic. And there have also been other broadcast journalists who have come out, so to speak, in their recovery proudly and and gone through their struggles. And that's what people want to see. They want to see the human you. They want to understand what it's all about. And they also want to see you doing well. So bravo, Lori. Really good. Thank you, Ellen. You know, I knew I had the opportunity to put a face on the disease of addiction. You know, I think, Ellen, people think they they have a certain image in mind when they think of an alcoholic. And and I'll tell you, for me, it it was like, I just thought an alcoholic was an old man in a trench coat clutching a paper bag of whiskey, you know, and like sort of trudging through Central Park. You know, that's what I thought an alcoholic was. Um, and then, of course, I became an alcoholic, and I realized, boy, w- we are everywhere. Um, and then I realized people in recovery are everywhere also. Uh, you, know. you know, I know that you were a part of that wonderful movie, movie, Anonymous People. And when it first came out, the thing that was staggering to me was the fact that there are 27 million of us in recovery And that to me is the largest lobby group in the world. I think we should become that lobby group and just get some really marvelous things done for the world. There's, there's no question. And um, I was so impressed. So just tell us for a, a few seconds before we go to break, how you got involved with the anonymous people. Well, um, I, I had, I got an email from the producer, this young guy named Greg Williams, who's gone on to become one of the most well-known advocates in this country. And I guess because at one point I'd had some prominence from being a TV news anchor, he reached out and said, would you like to be a part of this? And of course I said, yes. And I had a couple of friends who were also in, in the documentary and boy, it just blew up and became this huge thing. And, and I was so proud to have been a part of it. And it's available. It's out there. If anyone wants to find it and watch it, just Google the anonymous people. Um, and yes, we can stay anonymous if we want to. But those of us who've chosen to go public know that we have the chance to help many, many people. And, and I, I know that documentary has helped people. So I'm very proud of that. And it was a wonderful documentary. I've seen it many, many times and told all of my recovery clients to see it. When we come back, Lori is going to talk to us about a little bit more about her sobriety journey, but most importantly, recovery education. And we want to hear all about that. Please stay with us. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx on Transformation Taught Network, Recovery Recharged. We'll be back. Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New York. You can't just fix yourself on the outside and expect the inside to follow. Whether you're 5 or 85, healthy living can begin whenever you decide you want a better life. Tune into Keeping Up with Barbara Scheidegger every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com to learn about implementing a daily routine and finding a balance to improve your life. Learn to live agelessly. 
go to barbarascheidegger.com. That's Barbara, S-C-H-E-I-D-E-G-G-E-R.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of the Dr. Pat Show. And I am the creator of the Transformation Network, doing what we do in the world of positive radio, informed, educated, positive media. Independent radio hosts and independent networks have been the face of positive messaging over the past decade. So all of us here have decided we're going to put together an independent network that is going to enable people to bring their positive message of hope, inspiration, and conscious action to the forefront. Help us create a future of amazing, uplifting stories that can be told so we can tell our children and they can tell their children of what hope and conscious action is all about. I want to thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on on TransformationTalkRadio.com. What if you could enter a sacred vortex of love and beauty infused with the power of the earth and ascended masters? Join myself, Dr. Georgia Herrera and Dr. Sharon Martin in the the Sacred Sacred Magic Magic Show. Bring in the mystical and sacred for healing, airing every third Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You too can have your health and life challenges melt away. Join now and feel your heart open up to the answers to your most important questions. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. This is my 100th episode of Recovery Recharged. Glory, hallelujah. And I am with an amazing guest this morning, the very famous former broadcast journalist, Lori Dew, who's talking to us about her sobriety journey. Lori, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ellen. Yeah, I'm really famous. That's that's funny. <laughs> but you're easily recognizable. People can relate. And for somebody like me as well, trying to do what I'm doing, I so appreciate you taking the time and, and being here and talking to me. This is really wonderful. And everybody is getting something out of it because we have to relate to everybody's sobriety journey. So, so by saying that, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the past 16 years in general. Give us an idea of of how you have molded your sobriety journey. Is it mostly twelve step? Are you are you getting any other help? Just give us an idea of what that's been like for you. 
Sure thing. And um, I call this my sweet 16, right? So entering my 17th year of recovery, and I'll, I'll tell you, Ellen, I don't know if you felt this way when you first got sober. I can't believe how long it's been. And, you know, those of us in recovery know that we have to take it one day at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. Really, it's one day at a time. But if you had told me 16 years ago that this would have been my path, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Because, you know, we, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know what's going to, I mean, none of us knows what's going to happen with anything. But taking it a day at a time, being in our 12-step our group, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I'll say, and then obviously the support of family and friends has meant everything. You know, we can't do this alone. We shouldn't do it alone. And we don't have to do it alone. We have these fellowships and the fellowships can look like a lot of different things. Of course, there is the traditional Alcoholics Anonymous, which has saved the lives of millions of people and which continues to help millions of people. Um, it saved my life, quite frankly. And I still attend meetings, of course. Uh, what's great now is that many of them are available online. So for anybody listening out there who may not be familiar with AA or has heard about it, but is afraid to go, might want to try it out on a Zoom meeting first. And the links and all the information is available online, wherever you live, just put in Alcoholics Anonymous and you'll find something near you. So AA has, has meant a lot to me. And the books and the, the fellowship is, is extremely important for everybody. I will say it doesn't work for everyone. Not everybody likes AA and that's okay. You know, I, I think there are many pathways to recovery for me and probably for you and for millions of other people. It has helped build a very solid foundation for continuing recovery. But you know, my friends and family, uh, you know, they, they drink normally, you know, you and I don't know what it's like to drink normally, but I have plenty of friends and family who have been unbelievably supportive from day one. And of course, I don't know if any of your friends told you this, but Ellen, when I sort of started telling my friends that I was getting sober, no one said, Lori, that's a terrible idea. Everybody said, oh, good. Or Lori, <laughs> right. Lori, you don't, you don't need to do that. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, Lori, keep, keep drinking alcoholically and ruin your life some more. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of support. And actually, when I told some colleagues at Fox that I was getting sober, they were also incredibly supportive. And a couple of um, very famous people at Fox, who I won't mention, um, said, thank God we were so worried about you. And, you know, what, whatever you feel about Fox, um, you know, it doesn't mat matter for the sake of this conversation. I had colleagues who were very supportive of my journey. Absolutely. So, no matter what and no matter where and, and understanding, we always think we're leading that double life, right? Until the whole world confesses that they knew all along. I mean, you know, people said, Laurie, you were coming in hungover every day. And, you know, I have to say that my poor, my poor makeup artist, you know, she knew, she knew because she saw my face up close every day. And I know she looked at me with sadness and pity. And, and I, and I say that, and I was okay with that. You know, she looked at me very kindly and, you know, I had a few makeup bars and I know that they knew they never said anything. They would put me back together make me look beautiful. And then I would go on about, about my day. But once I got sober, 
the hair and makeup team and my producers and everybody said, oh my gosh, you're like a new person. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story, Ellen. Um, this was about six months into it and I was still, still anchoring. And somebody asked me if I had gotten my eyes done. <laughs> and, you know, I was only 30, 37 or 38 at the time. And I was like, okay, I'm too young to get my eyes done, but you know, I'll let you know when, when I go in. But they were it. open for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just looked different. I had lost the puffiness. My voice came back to normal. I looked clear. You know, I had clarity in my appearance and my sure. voice and my presence. And, you know, I said, no, I didn't get my eyes done. And, you know, at the time I wasn't telling a lot of people I was sober, um, but it was the sobriety. It changed everything. And here you are, 16 <laughs> years later, doing something amazing. And I want the world to hear about this. And I know that it has just started. So let's talk about it. It is called Recovery Education. It's actually called REAL, R-E-A-L, Recovery Education and Applied Learning. And the, the website is recoveryeducation.com. It's going to be up on this interview and you're going to be able to find it everywhere. And I have spent a lot of time on the website and it specifically targets parent education. So the first question I have is why? Why target parent education? And thank you so much for leading into this. Well, the reason why we built recoveryeducation.com is because uh, those of us who uh, created it and launched it, and we are a team of 10 people, we knew that there was a gap in parental resources. We, we knew from our own experiences that parents simply don't get the education they need, not only to talk about prevention with, with, their, with their kids, but also to help identify when there is a problem or what to do when they suspect that they're that their teenager or young adult may have an issue with alcohol and drugs. There simply wasn't that much information out there. You either, you know, if you're a parent at three o'clock in the morning and your kid comes home drunk and high and you don't know what to do and you're looking for answers, you know, you're going on the internet and you're searching, oh my gosh, what do I do? My kid just came home drunk. And a couple of things would happen, Ellen. Either you would be directed to a government website, which are great. Um, you know, SAMHSA and the CDC um, and the NIH, all these are great websites, but they're, they're informational. There's nothing warm or welcoming about these websites. You know, there's not a whole lot of support there. It's just information. Um, or on the other, other hand, when you would go online, you might see an advertisement for a fancy rehab that costs $50,000 a month. So you'd get one or the other, but there wasn't a clearinghouse of information for parents to provide them education, community, and support. So we built recoveryeducation.com. Because frankly, Ellen, um, even, even though parents themselves drank, and certainly perhaps they drank as a teenager, they still don't know how to start that conversation of talking with their beloved child um, about drinking and about drugs and about the dangers of underage drinking and the dangers um, of taking a pill or smoking a joint. And, you know, frankly, in this age of fentanyl, um, parents need to know what's going on. So we created this platform and we would encourage any parent, even if you have young kids, 
check it out because it's never too early to start talking with your kids about these things, literally as young as five, six, or seven years old. Recoveryeducation.com is a very user-friendly website. That's the first thing that really impressed me. It also impressed me that you have laid it out in individual topics that make a real difference to families. All right. Let's talk about the, the, the first one briefly. You have prevention. So talk to me a little bit about what goes on in that chapter. Sure. So, you know, people are cynical about prevention. I'm a bit cynical about prevention because I'm not sure anything could have prevented me, um, except that um, if I had known about my family history of alcoholism, it may have made a difference to me. So getting, getting back to prevention, as I said a moment ago, it's important for parents to start talking to their kids when the kids are quite young. And maybe, you know, when they're six or seven, they don't understand the nuance of what alcoholism and drug, you know, drug use is. But when you begin to uh, point out teachable moments, let's say you are out to dinner and someone is very drunk at the table next to you and they're, you know, they're acting crazy or they're yelling or they're making a scene. Your child might notice that and say, you know, mommy, what's what's wrong with that woman at the table? You can take that opportunity to say, well, that woman, it looks like she's had too much alcohol. And when you have too much alcohol, that's what happens. Or let's say you are in a situation and you see someone vaping. Uh, you could use that as a teachable moment and say, you know what, vaping is extremely dangerous, you know, et cetera. So when you start passing these messages along to your kid when they're young, by the time they are 13, 14, 15, when use really starts, well, it doesn't, it starts much younger, but when there is more pressure for them to try drinking and drugs, by the time they hit that age, they're already aware because you've been talking to them for so long. So we think that um, early you know, those early conversations are unbelievably important in planting the seed and in communicating directly with them when they're younger, that when you drink and you're underage, um, it can cause bodily damage. It can cause brain damage. It can affect you in so many dangerous ways because our brains are not fully developed until we're 25 or 26. So I think it's incumbent upon parents to also talk about how dangerous it is it is to try anything while their brains and bodies and emotions and hormones are growing. You got to start early, talk early and often, as we say. Absolutely. And the way this website is set up, not only do you talk about prevention, but the website addresses the impact on the family or the family disease, treatment options, sobriety in general, social reentry, long-term recovery, repairing family relationships, and healing. So explain to us, Lori, exactly how. Are there different videos? Are there different professionals? Let's talk about the logistics. Oh, yes. It's my great pleasure to talk about it. so we, we divided everything up into modules, um, lessons, and there are 18 of them covering all those topics that you just mentioned. And every module was written by a doctor. So we were able to get 14 of the country's top addiction specialists, actual 
MDs, psychiatrists, psychologists, and family therapists to write the curriculum. And for each lesson, whether it's prevention or identifying the signs of addiction or what the heck do we do as a family, uh, where do we go from here? All of these different modules have videos. Uh, we find that people can learn visually. So rather than just reading something, we have the doctor talking in a four minute video about all of these topics. We also have workbooks that parents can do. Uh, they can print out the workbook if they want to. Uh, they can do it online. And it is basically uh, going through information and then asking you questions about it. So it's a workbook and then you have a knowledge check. So you answer questions based on what you just read and learned. So we do this for all 18 of our modules and we find that this has been an excellent way for parents to learn. As a former teacher, high school and college, yes. it has always been important for me to learn something. When you sit in the 12-step recovery rooms, you absorb things. But what makes it so wonderful, and also for me as a recovery coach, is that I try to teach my clients things. So it's yes. not only a question of absorption. And when you want to hear something, you do want to hear it from a doctor and you want to hear it from an addiction professional. Yes. I also like the fact that there are not very, very long drawn out modules, but short easy to the point, very easy to understand, very comfortable to work with. So you're getting everything that you need. And then you get a little quiz afterwards just to make sure that you've retained it. Yeah. And look, this is there. There are no wrong answers. In other words, don't be afraid to take, you know, take the quiz and you're it's going to be a big red X or, a, eh, you know, when you do it. Uh, it's nothing like that. It's really just to reinforce and to really hit home, drive home these points. And, and I want to point out that, that we also um, offer the child's perspective, which we think is really important. So I sat down with four young people in recovery and I interviewed them for hours. And a lot of those snippets are on the website because we knew it was important to get the kid's perspective. In other words, let parents know, hey, you're talking to four kids here and they say, hey, whoever's watching this, this is not what to say. You know, this is not what to do as a parent. You know, these are the things that our parents did that were not effective at all. And, you know, one of the biggest lessons is to not judge, shame, or blame your child, but rather to partner with them and say, we love you and we want to help you. Let help us help you. And you have a family conversation that's conducted in a calm way. You know, parents, you need to prepare to have these conversations. And, you know, yelling at your kid and saying you're a loser and you've disappointed the whole family. We can't believe you're doing this. How dare you? That doesn't work. Coming to your child or children with love and support, even as angry as you might be, or as confused and as sad as you might be, we know that is far more effective. So, you know, Ellen, it's about having a conversation with your child, not at your child. And at recoveryeducation.com, we have so much information in helping parents prepare to have those conversations. So how do you suggest that parents take the first steps? What do they have to do? Well, first, the parents need to get on the same page, right? So if there are two parents, you know, if there are two parents or, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, families look 
look really different these days. It may not be a traditional mom and dad family. You may be divorced. It may be two moms, two dads. Uh, maybe they're uh, the, both parenting partners. Maybe there's only one parent who's involved. Whatever it is, you and your parenting partner must get aligned. Um, you have to get on the same page. So if the two parents are not in the same place about it, let's say that the father doesn't think it's a big deal, but the mother says, hey, wait a minute, honey, we have a real problem here. Mom and dad have to get aligned on this so that they can approach their child in a unified way with one message. So first, parents have to get on the same page. Then we recommend that parents put a list together of, of things they want to talk about with their child, literally write them down on a piece of paper and say, okay, here are our concerns. And again, on our, on our platform, recoveryeducation.com, we have an entire module on conversation starters. The most important thing uh, that, that you can do is to set aside time to talk with your child. So once you and your parenting partner are aligned, then you approach the child together and you make an appointment with your child. You don't yell at them when it's 5.30 and they've just come, come home from school and activities and they dump their backpack on the floor and they go to their room and they're tired. Don't do it then. Absolutely do not talk to them if they come home drunk or high. That's not the time to do it because they won't remember. Um, do not do it if your child is in the middle of exams don't do it if your child is stressed out about a test or um, some kind of athletic activity, or if they've had a bad day, don't talk to them then. Reach out to your child. I know parents who text their kids because that is the quickest way to reach them. Even if they're upstairs in their room, text your kid and say, you know what, mom and I, or dad and I wanna to talk to you this weekend. Um, how about 11 a.m. on Saturday? You make an appointment with your child so that they're not blindsided. You let them know ahead of time, we'd like to talk with you about alcohol and drugs. And then when you sit down at the appointed time, calmly, uh, you sit as a family and you ask an open-ended question. You don't attack them by saying, are you drinking? We know you're drinking. Uh, we don't like this. We know you're doing drugs. That doesn't work. You ask an open-ended question such as, hey, uh, John, what do you think about teenage drinking and drug use? And then you go from there. And then John will say, well, um, I don't know what you mean. Or, well, um, I don't know what I think about it. You know, you ask an open-ended question, then you let them talk. Um, as you and I know, um, in our 12-step program, we often hear the phrase, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You need to listen more and talk less. So you ask an open-ended question of your child, then you let them talk. Then you lead them into the discussion. And again, on our platform, we offer many ways to do that. So you, you start it as a conversation and you go from there. And it's always important to let your child know how much you love them. And that's why you're talking to them. These are very valuable pieces of information, and you will be able to get so many different suggestions from recoveryeducation.com. So I want you to just comment on two things really quick. Tell us about the real community and the real library. Tell us about those things. Sure. So we are very happy to offer an anonymous community to parents on our website. So 
it's an interactive educational community. So we have the curriculum, we have live events every single day where parent, parents can come on and watch our doctors and ask Q&A of them in real time, which is unbelievably valuable because a lot of these doctors are very busy and they charge $500 an hour. So we're, we're giving parents the opportunity to ask live Q&A. And then, as you mentioned, there is a community page where parents can anonymously talk with each other about what they're going through and they can share their own experiences. They can dispense their own advice based on what they've been through as a family. <clears throat> and you can do it anonymously. If you don't want to put your real name up there, you put an avatar up there and you can just communicate with other parents that way. So that's the community. And then our library of resources is unbelievably extensive. It's like a search engine. So rather than going on Google, you can go to recoveryeducation.com. Uh, you can find um, our library of resources pull down and then put any topic you want in there. We update this every single day. We have a service that calls through all of the articles um, that are found online, YouTube videos, studies from the CDC, whatever's out there. Um, we have those come into us, then our chief medical officer vets the articles, and then we publish them on the website. So you can search fentanyl, you can search overdose, you can search um, uh, beginning the conversation with your child, you, you can search teenage alcoholism, whatever it is you want to search, it will come up and provide resources. Uh, to you. So it's a lot of expert insight and it's a lot of resources, all of which contribute to this overall education and support for parents. It's kind of a one-stop shop for parental education, and that's a wonderful way to go. You are finding something that's comfortable, that's easy to understand, that's available to you 24-7, and can simply be found by going to recoveryeducation.com and joining the process, taking the lessons, becoming a part of the community. So what? now that we have just two minutes left, I want you to tell us what final message you'd like to give to our audience. And before you do that, one thing, tell us about the words behind you on your, <laughs> over your right shoulder. I, is that a song? What is that? And right. That a lot of people say, what the heck is that behind you? Very quickly. They're the lyrics to Billy Joel's song, Big Shot. And those of you who are familiar with that song know about the lyrics. Um, it's basically about a young glamorous woman who, you know, I, I think to me, the lyrics perfectly describe uh, a young alcoholic woman who likes to do drugs. And, um, you know, the lyrics are, you went uptown riding in your limousine uh, with your fine Park Avenue clothes. You had the Dom Perignon in your hand and the spoon up your nose. You had to be a big shot, didn't you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big shot didn't you? All your friends were so knocked out. And, you know, if you're familiar with the song, you know the lyrics. And I remember once I got sober, I, I heard the song and I went, oh my God, that's me. That's me. And a lot of us, not just me, but I had a Halston dress. I went to Elaine's. I had a spoon up my nose. Um, you know, I lived this so-called glamorous life when really I was dying inside. So I had it um, put in calligraphy so it almost looks like a wedding invitation and and it's there as a reminder every day of who I was 
and the fact that I can laugh at it now, knowing that I'm a very different person. So it's a bit of humor. Why not? It's wonderful. And it's a way for us to stay grounded and focused and remember. I don't ever want to be that woman again. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So Laura, leave us with a final message, please. 30 seconds. What do you want us to know? My final message, Ellen, is that you are not alone. You do not have to go through this alone. Whether you're an individual listening to this right now who may be struggling with drinking or drug use or a parent who might be listening, you are not alone. You don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. And now you don't have to. There is a community waiting for you, whether you want to stop drinking yourself or you're thinking about it, or you want to help an individual friend, or you're a parent who wants to help your beloved child, you're not alone. There's- this is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening, and remember, everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York.